0: Just pin superstar Steve Austin to regain
1: the ECW World Heavyweight pal I guarantee you, I'll be the ECW champ, the only champ that means a damn thing, and that's the bottom line.
2: Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time stream to December of 1995 for Volume 3 of this month's show. We've got six volumes for you this month. Uh, in order, it's WW, uh, WCW, WWF, ECW Volume 3, uh, USC, then the End of Year Review, and then Volume 6 is the End of Year Awards, so plenty to get through. Uh, we're here for ECW, one of the, the quieter ECW shows you're ever going to listen to, but I'll be joined firstly by Chris Lacey. Chris, hello.
3: Howdy, Bob.
2: And Rory McNamara. Rory, good evening. Hi, guys. Um, We have... I preface this just because it is deliberately this short, but Rory, kick us off with with your half of the news.
4: Well, indeed. The Sandman is the new ECW heavyweight champion, winning a triangle elimination match against Steve Austin and Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey was actually eliminated first from the match by an Austin sporting a new crew-cut haircut. Austin had the match won but Sandman got his foot on the ropes. Sandman then nailed Austin with some brass knucks, pinned him, but the ref didn't see Austin's foot on the ropes. Austin started in the WWF as the ringmaster at the end of December, but not before cutting an impassioned promo on Hardcore TV.
2: The Public Enemy's last ECW show will be at the beginning of January. They will be going to WCW where their first scheduled opponents will be the Nasty Boys. Terry Funk departed ECW this month in a teary interview segment with Tory Dreamer. He says he's at a stage in life where he doesn't need to wrestle. And finally, there was a lot of controversy surrounding the future of Woman, aka Nancy Sullivan, after Mark Madden said she would be joining WCW under the name Elizabeth to manage Randy Savage on the WCW hotline this month. While there have definitely been talks internally with WCW doing just that it's not happening yet at least and it said there is tremendous heat on madden for the story
0: tommy i'm not gonna lie to you Uh, i just uh i don't really feel like that i can uh I think you're a great athlete. I think you're a wonderful person. I think you're a great kid. I think uh, wonderful possibilities. Not wonderful. I think it, uh, I'm very proud of you. And, uh, this comes a time that, uh, you know that I can't, uh, I really don't feel that I could be a help to you and i love the people up here at philadelphia i love them so much and 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 they and each and every one of y'all have been so good to me it uh been wonderful but there comes a time that you have to go ahead and go and uh it's about time for uh for me to go ahead and uh get out of the business uh, got a wife and by the time i went to her and uh, took her around and went some places and did some things instead of being in this crazy wrestling business and uh i'm going to i'm uh, and it's not you know it's by choice but i'll never forget y'all and i'll never forget this kid over here Uh, he's done a wonderful job great kid and I don't know I've been around hardcore people and hardcore fans and I love them to death and I know that this kid's kind of come up and I don't know how much influence I've had on him but uh, I'm very proud of him at this time and I wish I had the, uh, the same old ability that I had a long time ago and the same old desire that I had and everything. And uh, whenever I was young, I was, I was pretty good, Tommy. But uh, uh, that's times past. And you need to go on down the road, and I did too. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm going to tell you people out there, even though I'm going down the road, may not see you again in a wrestling ring i'll see you again because you're my friends like i'll see tommy right here i don't care i got enough bucks i can fly up here and see tommy i got enough bucks i can fly up here and see you i don't have to be in a wrestling ring anymore uh, that's life terry every time i wrestle i'll never forget what you did for me well I was there, Tommy. <laughs> That's all I got.
2: And don't adjust your sets. That really was the end of the news. A very quiet month at ECW. Uh, but we are, as I say, we are going to go through the hardcore TV like usual. We certainly have a, a, uh, an ECW heavyweight title change to discuss. But we will open up on December the 5th with a graphic saying ECW, where the big boys don't play, they fight we get highlights of the Funk and Dreamer versus Jack and Raven tag team match that we covered last month on uh, the November show. After the match, we sit down with Terry Funk and a bloody mess of Tory Dreamer. Funk says he's proud of Dreamer, but it's about time for him to go ahead and get out of the business. Dreamer gets teary. Funk says he may not wrestle again, but he's got enough money to fly up here and see his friends whenever he likes. We then get a sloppy video package looking at Funk's best ECW moments. Um, Chris, this is very off-kilter for ECW. But
3: I quite liked it. It has to be said, we've noticed recently in the sort of past couple of months the way that ECW put these video packages together. Normally building to the specials or, you know, the big feud blow offs. So to see them do one as a career retrospective, even if it is just the ECW career, was really, really nice. And it it showed you all the bits and pieces that Funk has done whilst he's been there or thereabouts with ECW. Um, And when you look at it, you, you remember actually how important he has been in the sort of couple of years that he's been there and sort of coming and going. But whenever he is there, he's there for the good of the company more than to make himself some money.
2: Rory?
4: Yeah, I thought this was absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm so glad they did this. Uh, because as, as you said, as, as ECW do this sort of thing so rarely that when it happens, you get the impression they really, really mean it. And nobody deserves it more than Terry Funk. I'm a massive, massive, massive fan of the guy. Um, the thing I love about Terry Funk is he isn't a superstar. He isn't a sports entertainer. He isn't a superhero. He's a wrestler. He wrestles people. During this uh, during this interview, he twice used the phrase wrestling ring, and that doesn't happen all that often these days itself either. Um, I flat out love the guy. I get the impression that uh, Paul Heyman loves the guy. Watching this interview, Tommy Dreamer seemed uh, legitimately choked up during it, and uh, I can't say I blame him either. I thought this was uh, I thought this was fantastic. Whether Terry Funk really is going to hang up his boots. I'll believe it when I see it. If there's anybody for whom the phrase wrestling is in their blood of prize, then it's for Terry. But um we'll see how that one goes. But yeah, this was fantastic and fully, fully deserved as well.
2: And Rory, as for the interview segment itself with with him and Dreamer, I, I, I like the, the visual of having Dreamer at this just bloody mess. He had like this, you know, I can't it's like netting on his head, I think, kind of to hold the bandage in place, because they couldn't strap it down, because he's, he's, he's um, you know, he had so many cuts and scars, um, and this bloody ECW shirt, and Funk kind of, you know, it was just Funk talking from the heart, wasn't it? It was, su- it was such an effective segment, as I, as I kind of said a few minutes ago, such a... Such a jar, for someone who's watched ECW for the last two and a bit years, such a jarring segment. It was incredibly effective. And I also like the fact that, well, yeah, no, I do. I I like the fact that they, and I think Funk would have probably wanted it this way, uh, would have been that it was just the only few minutes, and then they pivoted out of it, they showed a quick video package, and then jumped into an interview with Dreamer, and then they carried on with the show. What do you think of the interview itself?
4: Um, I thought it was uh, very, very, very interesting, actually. I think Dreamer in particular, this is going to help him a lot. He's been, he, as far as the, for what I've seen of ECW, I don't think he's actually quite got there with the fans until maybe the last couple of months. I know we had the chair shot that was heard around the world and all that. I think he's almost there now, Dreamer, where, where they want him to be and i think this interview and this um support that he's got from Telefunk in particular can only help him get over the uh get over the final wrong i think uh, i think he's pretty much there now taking maybe a bit longer than they would have wanted but um he's there and i'm glad of that because i'm a fan of dreamer he's he is what you would ideally want 1995 going into 1996 ecw to be so let's hope that continues
3: Chris it it was I've heard Funk give these sort of emotional sort of interviews where he says that he's going to call it a day <laughs> so many times because he, he did two <laughs> in like about eight months in WCW NWA back in 1989 which obviously I've watched for Mobile Project and it's one of those things of you can't always believe what he says but how he said it and the reaction of tommy and what tommy was saying as well this really could be him calling it a day you know and part of me thinks that he really should because the way that he's been wrestling for the past five or six years with especially the stuff he's been doing in japan you know, with the death matches and the explosions, he doesn't need to do it anymore. You know, let let the younger ones take that sort of level of risks and hurting themselves. You know, you don't need to do it anymore. So Tommy may be taking over his mantle of being, you know, that lovable wrestler that will also have that dangerous side to him. You know, if of all the people to take over the mantle of the being the good guy that is hardcore, Tommy works for it and this promo makes you feel that Tommy wants to take that legacy.
2: Dreamer cuts a pro with Joey Styles. He said he was born hardcore, and if he has to, he will die hardcore. We then get a recap of the Mikey Whitreck, Sam Mann, and Steve Austin rivalry, followed by highlights of Austin versus Mikey from November to Remember. We cut to footage from Remding, Pennsylvania. It's shot like fan cam footage, like it was also a camcorder. Uh, Bubba Ray shows some impressive moves for a fat white man, so much so that Rocker Rock offers out a handshake. But as he turns his back, Bubba hits a reverse atomic drop. He grabs the mic and says, My name is But But But." before Grunge nails him with a cookie sheet. He then says, My name is Bubba Ray Dudley, before hitting the canvas. See, Richards interferes, nails Rock with a super kick, but Rock kicks out. The enemy grab a victory by roll up. Uh, then... It kind of descends into well chaos really. Uh, we get running some Richards and Raven, the eliminators and the pit bulls. Grunge goes down after clashing heads with Richards. Richards goes down saying he's broke his arm. Then out come the heavenly bodies. They're hammering at everyone with chairs. Joey Styles reckons Raven is calling the shots when uh, uh Chris uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about something in a minute, but i I'm, I'm getting a bit I don't know pissed off is the right expression, but I'm getting it, you know, for for all of ECW's, for all the good things about Joey Styles, uh, he jumps ahead of himself a fair few times in a way that really doesn't feel natural.
3: Yeah, because obviously we know that he does the uh, announcing for matches like this, especially the sort of fan cam stuff, isn't done when it's getting, when the match is on and getting taped. This is all done in the studio afterwards. So yes, he knows where this is going and yes, he he probably knows, you know, what the bigger picture is. But he has to remember that when he's saying it on these tapes that we as the viewer don't know where it's going. The story hasn't been evolved for us. You know, the heavenly bodies turning up should just be the shock that it is. We shouldn't know. That Raven's the one that's bring that brought them in, because we have never seen or heard any hide or hair that a the heavenly bodies were going to be there, and there's nothing that connects them to Raven. You know, it should all be natural.
2: Joey and... should find out when we find out. Yeah, Joey yeah. should find out when they cut them when, when Raven cuts the promo with the heavenly bodies, and he does later in the month that's when, you know, he... Sh- or, or, yeah, he can communicate it retrospectively, but if you're going to present the commentary as live, and this was a little bit different, but he's, he's doing it, like, because this is... They're, they're kind of trying to play this off as fan cam footage because it's from Reading, Pennsylvania, not from the ECW arena. But if you're going to present retrospective commentary as if you're watching it for the first time, don't then throw in a bit of information that clearly shows you're not. And there's a bigger example of this later in the show that we'll, we'll come to, but it... <sighs> I don't know. Anyway, uh we return to the ring with some absolute was absolute devastation everywhere. The pit balls, the enemy and dreamer are all down. We cut backstage to Richards with his arm in a sling. He says he doesn't want to cry on camera. Uh Rory, what do you think of this this segment?
4: Oh my word. <laughs> um, uh, b- b- this made this made World War Three look um uh, look sane and easy to follow. Um ECW, I guess, huh? Um this was just complete and utter madness. And I say that as somebody who has seen bits and pieces of ECW uh, uh, over this year in 1995. But my, my, my jaw was on the floor, but I'm still not sure whether that was in a good way or not. I mean, how can you... In fairness, I mean, I agree with what you were saying, Bob, about Joey jumping ahead, but he was trying to make a story out of this, and I think we have to applaud him for that, because really there wasn't much else to find from this. It was just... Uh, to quote somebody from another organization, it was just 12 men beating the hell out of each other. Uh, and it was, it was a fairly captivating watch, I've got to say, for something that was shot at the side of the ring on a, on a camcorder. It was never dull, i certainly agree with that. But I, I don't know, I found myself being taken out of the moment with, with this one quite early on. And even as a, as so far somebody's been a fairly casual, um, ECW viewer in 1995, I felt slightly desensitized to it, and that's not the reaction. That's obviously not the reaction they were going for, but clearly not as they were debuting somebody who I think could be a pretty decent high-ranked tag team in there, in their roster, in their heavenly bodies. I don't know. I think I think a lot of people would enjoy this more than I did. Although I do want to say that I think Boba is an absolute star, an absolute star. If they play him right. They've really got something going on there.
2: But otherwise, yeah. this
4: was this was fun, but I lost it early on, I'm afraid.
2: Yeah, we'll come to a, a, another Bubba Ray Dudley segment later on. Uh, Chris, um, yeah, I, I kind of find it hard to disagree with Rory, even as someone who's, you know, watched ECW religiously this year. As effective as this segment was, it was like, OK, this is really difficult to follow.
3: Yeah, um... I'd quite like to actually see the whole of the Dudley's versus Public Enemy match because, from the potted highlights we actually got of the match, I think that could have been quite a good match between the four of them. Um, the the chaos at the end, I, I don't know what they're trying to do with it because obviously, you know, as you said earlier in the news that there is the whole thing that everyone pretty much knows that the Public Enemy are going very soon, so I don't get why they're trying to build new feuds for them if, obviously, they're not going to be around past the beginning of January. Um, I, I get that, you know, there's, as Joby sort of spoiled for us that the Heavenly Bodies are working with Raven. So, you know, them coming out to help him makes sense because, you know, he, they are new disciples. But all of it as a whole just didn't really make sense and i can't see what they were trying to do with it because you know of the things that we know at this point it it doesn't make any sort of storyline sense or even logical sense of what they're actually trying to do
2: it didn't even feel like an ecw segment it was a it was kind of the kind of thing that i'd expect wcw to do when they had a load of undercard tag teams and they just bundle them all into one segment and get none of them over. It was like, I don't know what the Eliminators and the Pitbulls were doing out there. I think the rest of it would have made sense, but I think the segment would have been far more effective had they not have been. It was like, you've got Eliminators and Pitbulls who, who are two, you know, as we, as we spoke about last month, two you know, well-established tag teams. I don't know what they added to the segment other than just the chaos. And I, I guess it's a... Uh, it's a a house show. You've got to call them house shows, given that you know they, they don't they don't run massive arenas or or massively long you know pay views or anything like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it just it didn't it didn't stand out to me as a, a as an effective segment. I, I guess you could say it wasn't presented like one, but it, it was the end of the show. I know it's a quiet month, but you know people generally associate the final. Sways of the show is the most important part and a real random schmals involving, you know, about six tag teams is certainly part of it. I will finish the segment by saying I think it it speaks a lot about where the WWF right, are right now in that they've barely got two tag teams and ECW have got <laughs> six. I think that that, that says a lot about where, where WWFR as a company and where their priorities lie, uh, as well. Uh, we open up December the 12th with Damien Kane, accompanied to the ring by Lady Alexandra. They are managing the bad crew. They're facing up against DW Dudley and Bubba Ray Dudley. They're even announced as being from Dudleyville. Bubba Ray grabs the mic. The fans chant, What's your name? What's your name? One of the bad crew calls Bubba Ray a stuttering retard. Bubba says, Ah, fuck you! And the fight is on. The match is nothing special. The Dudleys win with a powerbomb from Bubba Ray Dudley for the three. We will discuss Bubba Ray more, um, later on. Uh, As he's walking to the crowd, as he's walking to the back, the crowd chant, Dance, Bubba, dance, but Big Dick Dudley denies it. The crowd then chant, "Big Dick sucks, Dick, Big Dick sucks, Dick." That was my, that's my impression of the uh, ECW, uh, <laughs> ECW fanbase. Uh, we move on to the triangle match for the ECW Heavyweight Title. Steve Austin is out sporting a new crew-cut hairstyle. He looks a bit like John McLean from Die Hard. Uh, the crowd uh, respond by chanting, Where's your hair? Where's your hair? OK, I'm going to start singing all these segments, aren't I? Uh, we start with some technical wrestling. Sandman isn't out there yet, as is the way with ECW Triangle Matches. Uh, Mikey takes over a side headlock. Mikey misses a sunset flip, then tries to grab Austin's trunks in a repeat from last month. Out comes Sandman. Austin sends Mikey crashing into the garage before giving him a pile driver on the concrete. That's put him out of commission for now. With Sandman drinking beer on the outside, Austin imitates Hogan in the ring by cupping his ear. Sandman waits so long, by the time he gets ready to go, Mikey's back in action. He hits a hurricane runner on Sandman from the top, then attempts the same on Austin, who turns it into a powerbomb, which Mikey barely kicks out of. With Austin and Sandman on the outside, he hits a flip dive. Mikey drops between... Uh, between the two and low bows and both Austin hits the stun gun on Mikey pins him and eliminates him we will have a new ECW champion on the outside Austin levels in with a chair they fight into the crowd Uh, Salman this is Salman grabs the timekeeper's table and lobs it onto Austin Austin returns the table and throws it back then throws a chair at him Austin hits the stun gun on Salman Joey Styles then does another usual odd piece of commentary claiming despite the fact that we didn't even see it uh, that Salman blocked the stun gun uh, with his arm. He then says that Sandman has broken his wrist. Again, the, the whole live commentary isn't really believable. Sandman was clutching his wrist. Uh, Austin and launches Sandman through the table, rested against the guardrail. Austin chokes him with a table, a cable from the table, back in the ring. He hits Sandman with a face first suplex, then grabs the beer from woman, drinks it, then spits it in her direction. He then spits beer in Sandman's face. Austin gets on the turnbuckle to taunt the crowd when we revise Sam with another beer. Austin picks up Salman for a body slam Salman inadvertently kicks referee Jim Molyneux Austin nails Salman with some brass knocks He pins Salman but Salman has his foot on the ropes Salman gets some more knocks off women Nails Austin with them He pins Austin, Austin gets his foot on the rope But the referee cannot see it Salman is your new ECW champion And the woman now has control of all of the titles within ECW Rory, what do you think of this?
4: Uh, the proverbial match of two halves here or about 40-60% um, there's before Sandman and there's after Sandman <laughs> I thought the uh, 7 or 8 minutes we got with Austin and Mikey were really very good actually um, Austin isn't quite back to 100% yet he was moving a bit gingerly around the ring it's certainly not the Austin we saw having those instant classics with Steamboat last year but uh, he's definitely getting there Uh, I really like, just put the, I I really like, there were two, I think, moments at the beginning of the match where he actually shook Mikey's hand. I think that was really important in um, looking back on it now because now Mikey's lost the title. Um, Showing him that respect during the match gives them something else to build with Mikey here because otherwise I fear he might be forgotten about quite quickly and they shouldn't, they need to recapitalise. So I thought that was very nice. Especially given Austin's being booked, uh, booked as a heel, and their work was good. It was nothing earth shattering, but uh, it was pretty nice. Some de- some decent mat stuff, uh, a couple of decent high spots, and um, I thought Mikey in particular acquitted himself well. And uh, I, I I enjoyed that. But then uh,
2: Rory, I'll, I'll chop you off there. Uh, I'll just move to Chris just to 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 get his opinions on the, that that yep. same chunk of the match.
3: The the as Rory was saying, there is a definite two sides of this match. There's uh, BC and A or BS and AS <laughs> even uh, pre Sandman was awesome. You know, it showed Mikey wrestling and not just being the underdog and fluking stuff. As Rory said, Austin doesn't look at his best. Obviously, we know this is only a second match back since his injury.
2: He's also not working with yeah you know, as much. as We say the bit before Sandman came out was quite good although I don't think I I thought quite as much as you did and the bit where Sandman Man came out was not very good he's working with two pretty experienced guys so it's difficult to look at your best when you have got not a lot to work with mm.
3: but obviously the you know as soon as Sandman comes out the it stops being a wrestling match and it becomes a brawl um obviously once once Sandman's there it it's no more sort of headlock takeovers and, and chain wrestling. It's more, let's just swing right fists about and throw people outside and into the barriers and over the barriers.
2: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I don't think I was quite as high on the on, on the Mikey and and Austin part of the match as you guys were. That probably reflected in my lack of notes of the uh, uh, of the first third of the match. I don't think it was quite as long as half and half. i might mean, have to get the the stopwatch out and have a look. But yeah, I mean, it, it was fine. You know, I I think both Austin and to a lesser degree Whipwreck owed each other a little bit more having had a. Okay, match at November to remember. I'm not sure it was any better than that. Um, given that they had eight or nine minutes, it kind of fizzled out. Uh, this was certainly an improvement on that. And I think it's, you know, it was easier given that they knew it wasn't going to be very long and, and they could, they could wait for the right moment and Sandman could come out and then they'd have a lot of, uh, histrionics. Uh, and Roy, and then Sandman came out.
4: And then Sandman came out and then, (laughs) and then, uh, the guy just sucks. (laughs) I was thinking for days, what else could I say? But the guy just sucks, and he knows he sucks. But the crowd must know he sucks as well. But they love the guy, so I must be missing something. But those spots were just, ugh oh, were just terrible. He, can't, he the amount of times he's taken a bump over the top rope in the last year, you think he would have learned how to take it properly, but he, he, he can't even fall over the rope without it looking rubbish. And then we had Mikey being pinned first, which I'm still in two minds about it was given the impression that despite him being the champion that he was third wheel here with uh, the guy from WCW and somebody who is who has been ECW the entire year and a former champion did I like Mikey being pinned first? I didn't but I suppose for the way they eventually told the story that's what had to happen and again, like I say, I hope they have something else coming up for Mikey pretty, pretty quickly. He doesn't get bumped down to the mid-card or, or worse.
2: Chris, thoughts um, on... Uh, cr- sorry, sorry, Roy, I'm just, I'm just structuring this off. match review slightly different. User. Chris, thoughts on uh, Mikey's elimination?
3: Premature, but I suppose at this point you've got the story for Mikey wanting a rematch because he wasn't pinned by the guy that became the champion. But... I suppose the finish they went with makes more sense of it being Austin and Sandman, as Rory's just said, than it being either one of those pinning Mikey and the foot being on the rope bit. I don't think it would have worked with Mikey, cause the whole point of Mikey being the underdog and it not being seen as a referee decision, I don't think that really works. That'd be more of a heel way to win than doing it on your underdog babyface.
2: Yeah, I, I guess uh, you know. I, I guess to a point they wanted to, you know, tee up Austin for the promo that we're going to listen to in a minute. Um, so I, I guess it made more sense that they could have an affairs finish, and they wouldn't want Mikey the Babyface to have any doubts over his championship. So I, I guess it probably made sense that they went with Austin and Salman in that. Theoretically, at least, Samman could have this finish and get booed, as, as Roy alluded to. Not that there was a massive babyface pop when he won the title, but samman as a, as a rule these days, is getting cheered by, by a lot of ECW fans. But I think the idea was they wanted to give Austin some ammunition for what we're about to hear, and it made a lot more sense for, uh, Sandman to do it than Austin. Um, Roy, I, I, I won't cut you off again. Talk to me about the final third half of the match.
4: <laughs> with pleasure um, and then the, 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 uh, fell outside the ring as it, it was always going to and then we had the inevitable but very perfunctory weapons brawl with Austin and Sandman Austin uh, this might well be connected to his injury but Austin didn't look comfortable there at all I've, there are a couple of moments where he seems to be visibly wincing at having to take uh, take these particular shots and I can't say I blame him for that I, I wouldn't under normal circumstances let alone coming back uh, from an injury with a maniac like Sandman, but the Sandman swinging a chair. It it, it seemed like they had, they thought, OK, uh, this is an ECW title match. So far, we've pretty much kept it in the ring. We'd better get the weapons out now. And you could also say that is a general flaw of ECW itself. And, I and also, a lot that.
2: of having Sandman as one half of the match, we kind of need to cover through his flaws.
4: Yes, absolutely. You, you aren't going to get any... You're not going to get any 450 splashes here. If I, no, I shouldn't give them ideas there, should I really? Um And it was it was pretty tired. And then after that, for five minutes, simply because we had to do that for five minutes, we ended up back in the ring with a finish that Kevin Sullivan could have booked. And I don't think that, as, as the old saying goes, nobody gets over. Austin goes goes for a swing. Oh, sorry, i um, got Austin hit the song gun, goes for the pin, then we get this mythical Sandman arm injury that Joey Styles clearly just made up on the spot. <laughs> gets his foot on the ropes, brass knocks are thrown in, referee doesn't see it, I say straight out of Atlanta that finish. And Sandman gets a tainted win, yes, the Sandman's a bad guy, but so's Austin. And and I know and again the Sandman is the Sandman, but especially for a, a title switch, that felt pretty lacklustre to me and the crowd gave the standard pop, quick pop they did for Sandman but cr- I think the crowd died pretty quickly after that, the Sandman got kind of a brief promo got on the mic nothing much really happened with the crowd after that I think it killed them and uh, they could have done this very very differently the finish fell flat and um, for a title change in particular that's not what you want
2: yeah, um hard to disagree with much of that really. I I, I yeah, I don't know quite what they achieved, but I, I guess the the thought was was that one it from a from a live crowd perspective and to a point if you're watching on on, on T V they didn't they didn't present it as if it had happened already, they presented it as if it was was uh, was something new. I guess the thought was Austin pins Mikey, ah, Austin's gonna go over. So they you know Move it across to Sam, and and just to clear something up, as much as Austin has now left DCW, um, this was still the plan, whether he was going or not. They This wasn't a case of we were going to give it to Austin, now he's going, we 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 didn't. Um, this was still the plan, so I read. Um, but yeah, I I don't know whether it was the thought. Well, people think Austin's going to win. We'll we'll surprise them, Chris. I I think if if that was the attitude, then. I would have surprised people. Like, I'm not saying have Sandman mow over Austin clean, but there, there are ways, there are finishes you can present where Austin gets unlucky or Sandman just gets this wild bit of luck where Austin slips off the turnbuckle or whatever. Like, if you want to present Sandman being a fortuitous champion, I kind of would have done that. I don't know that they achieved anything with the finish they went with.
3: No, um, it, it the thing is Sandman is best for being mega violent and you know swinging that cane around and doing that dreadful leg drop you want to put him over and you know get him to beat him you know get him to do a, a chair shot or a cane shot that is you know square on the in the sort of sweet spot of the head and uh, you know it puts down Austin for the free count and then you know Austin gets up and do that would have worked better than this um the one thing i do want to add though is if joey styles can tell a broken limb from that distance (laughs) he needs to be you know like a paramedic or something because he could save (laughs) so much time going to sick people and going. let me just look at you no there's no broken bones you're fine you can go in normal a and e oh that's broken get him straight into surgery
2: <laughs> it's a weird attention to detail that you would think if any like organization would be on top of it at bcw but austin drops saman on the guard rail, and i, I kind of referenced it in my notes like saman is between the guard rail and the camera you can only see his back and saman kind of half turns you still can't see his arm and joey's like oh saman blocked it and it's like did he and then so yeah. it's like oh he's broken his wrist
3: it's the fact that the wrist that he breaks, obviously we see him later in the month with it in the cast, is the one that is the furthest away from the camera, covered by his body, and there is no way anyone would have seen that. So, as I said, Joey must have some serious X-ray vision that he can see broken bones, and he is wasted as a commentator. He would be much more so, uh, suitable for a role in medicine.
2: Well, yeah. But anyway, look, I, that, uh, to, for that to be my only gripe with, with Joey Stiles, I think given that I spend many evenings listening to Vince McMahon and Eric Bischoff while away <laughs> the hours on Monday nights. What a manoeuvre. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. All, all, round all, all of those back leg round kicks, oh yeah. <laughs> um, Rory, I, I get the thing, I know the answer. Um I... Uh, Sam as champion again, like... I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the plan is here.
4: No, I don't know what the plan is either. I mean, Austin's gone. Um, I'm not sure now that they can really uh, go around the hall with Sandman Mikey again. Um I don't know. I genuinely don't know who they can actually promote now. <laughs> promote. <laughs> using the word Sandman and promote in the same sentence. Um, to actually be a legitimate... Believable challenger.
2: Well, I think what it's worth
4: I, I genuinely, I genuinely don't know.
2: They signed off the last TV saying that he was gonna face Cactus Jack and Conan, I think. Yes, that's right. Two opponents that- Which- I, Chris, I, I, I guess that's different, but it's like, Conan's no miracle worker. And Cactus Jack, we know, can have a, a good walking brawl with Sandman, but Cactus Jack, to a point, can have a good walking brawl with anybody. But we've, we've done that. Like, I- it's not that I necessarily massively disagree with putting the title on Sandman the first time. I remember back in, I think May when he, when he, April when he won it, I remember saying, you know, it opens up a load of possibilities because you can have this believability that Sandman can lose it to anybody. And I don't think, particularly think they capitalized on that. But once he lost the title, I don't know that I would have been in a hurry to go back to it, Chris.
3: No, as, as we said when we did the retrospective on his title run, it was so near of a run that at no point was he. There was times when he wasn't even the main story or element of his own matches. See the match with him, too Cold, replacing Mustafa and New Jack against the Public Enemy and Mikey. Him and Mikey wasn't the story in that match. It was the gangsters and Public Enemy. He was the the third wheel as the world champion in a match that he's in. And I really can't see it being any different this time because in the two months that he's not been the champion, it's not like they've done anything different with him. The only thing they've done is put him with Scorpio as the tag team champions. So, woman has all the belts in her possession as such. But it's not like they've done anything with Sandman to make him anything that makes me think he'll do anything better than what he did in the last title run. And he's still awful. He is still so very awful.
2: It's a, it's a weird. Presentation juxtaposition to to try and attract people to this, you know, you're trying to sell tickets and right, you know, they'll, they'll set up the ECW arena all, all night long, but you're trying to tour, you're trying to expand, and you're trying to grow on the likes of Guerrero and Malenko while they were here, the likes of Mysterio and Psychosis while they're while they're here, on this great wrestling and and you've got all this wacky and edgy stuff going on that's really different, and then your main guy is, that should be everything you hate, I mean he's over, I'll give him that, but like 9-1-1's over, I wouldn't give him the title, 9-1-1's great in the role he's in, I think Salman, wouldn't be great in a 9 one role necessarily, but not, Salman would be great in a role, I just, I don't think this is it, but, <sighs> I said it the, the first course. time, I'll say it again, I don't think this is going to be a long title reign, I, I hope I'm right, R- Rory quick, quick thoughts,
4: yeah, just say it flies in the face of Paul Heyman's whole modus operandi, which is accentuate the positive, hide the negative. Um,
2: well, in many ways it what... doesn't in the sense that they managed to get a guy with almost no wrestling ability <laughs> very popular <laughs> yeah. in front of 1,500 people. So that in was... many ways it, it, it's it's exactly what that idea is all about. But I know what you mean.
4: Yes, because, well, yes, you still need to have a positive to accentuate, and uh, I'm struggling to see what it is. I mean... I could walk to the room, drinking beer and smoking a cigarette. You know what I mean? And I'd be able to throw a throw a half decent short arm clothesline at the very least. But again, he's over. The, the fans love him. That I mean, there was a, uh, at least two or three big chance during the match of go Sandman. I'm, I, like I said earlier, I must be missing something, but they love him. So in that respect, at least, I can understand them putting uh, putting the belt back on him. But um, I I think that they're not going to be able to go to this particular well too many more times
2: and in the show the Heavenly Bodies has joined Bueller on her box segment and then Joey Styles uh, back you know, in the uh, in, in the studio bit if you want to call it that uh, says Sandman has broken his wrist jo- Mystic Joey was right <laughs> moving on to so December 19th we start with an near full showing of the top match from last week uh, we then get this Austin promo
1: You know, over the last six or seven weeks, everybody's heard me come out here and bitch and complain and sing a sad song about getting treated like a piece of crap in WCW, about how I never got a title shot, about how when I was a US champion, the number one contender, I never got a damn thing. I come right into ECW run my mouth a little bit and get two title shots and man I dropped the damn ball Mikey Whipwreck went and pinned me one two three and then the Sandman did the same you know I just got off a long layoff I just came back from an injury that would have put a lot of people out of the sport So Mikey Whipwreck, when you beat me, even though I was damn near crippled, even though I hadn't rehabbed this damn arm, and even though that was my first match back, you still beat one of the best wrestlers in the world, and that's the bottom line the same man the same goes for you man second time in the ring I dropped the ball and you get the win now my damn foot was on the rope and I was about to blow chunks at the end of the match I'm out of shape but man I'm out there pounding the pavement it was a lucky day man you pinned Steve Austin one two three (laughs) after coming back from such a layoff It makes you want to think, man, as hungry as I am, it makes me want to sit back and take a couple of more weeks off after I've been off for months because it seems like, man, maybe I can't cut it anymore. (sighs) Maybe Steve Austin is never going to be the superstar that everybody thought he was going to be. You know, I come up here to Philadelphia and it's cold. And I'm listening to Joey Styles, and sure, he's cutting edge, and he's got a smart-ass attitude, and he actually knows the names of the holes, but God dang it, man, Eric, I'm telling you, I miss you, man. I think you're, Joey Styles, is good, but man, I never gave you enough credit. I think you're one of the best. You never got your dues as one of the best announcers in the sport, and I'm telling you right now, man, I think you're great. I think you ought to get announcer of the year. (sighs) Eric, I love you, man. Take me back because I ain't got what it takes to get it done in ECW, man. Oh, yeah. Take me back to WCW. Let me be a mid-card wrestler. Let me just scramble around. Let me get no dues. Let me Don't give me nothing. Treat me like a piece of garbage. Feed me garbage. As long as you send a weekly check, man, I'm going to be happy. Yeah, that's what I ought to do, Eric. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. Because I'm a little bit better than that. I'm a little bit better than everybody here in ECW. Oh, yeah, I'm rusty as hell. I'm coming back from a hell of an injury. But I'm better than everybody in ECW. I'm better than the people that buy the tickets, and I'm better than the people that watch it on TV. Everybody starts yelling, ECW, ECW. Like the ECW arena is the place to be. This is wrestling? No, it ain't wrestling. I done told you one time it's violent crap. The people out there in my second title shot, they're out there yelling Hogan. They're yelling Forrest Gump and they're yelling Gold Dust. I'm a hell of a lot better than that. You people get up every morning, you throw a ham and cheese sandwich in a metal lunchbox, you punch a time plot, you let some off yell at you for nine hours, then you push out and go back home to some hag. I'll never do that, man. Man, I'm telling like it is. I got beat twice. A comeback attempt and got shut down twice because I wasn't half the wrestler that I'm supposed to be and that everybody knows out there in TV land that I am. Man, I'm flat out disgusted. I'm disgusted with myself. I'm disgusted with the last four years of my life. So I'm going to take a week off I might take two weeks off. I don't know how much time I'm going to take off, but I'm going to get my act together because all this that's gone on for the last few weeks and for the last two weeks of my life isn't where I'm supposed to be. So everybody out there can think exactly what they want. I bitched about not getting a title shot for four years, get two thrown in my face, and get shut down twice because I'm not where I should be. Well, Sandman, Whipwreck, whoever has a title on my next shot, I won't be denied because you can't deny me. The only person here that can deny me is myself. And as I've worked hard to get back to where I should be, I haven't done it yet. But when I do, man, I'm telling you, I'm gonna be the ECW champ. I guarantee you, I'll be the ECW champ, the only champ that means a damn thing. And that's the bottom line.
2: Rory, this is a promo five years in the making, as much as his previous few were in ECW to a point. Um, But ECW gave him six minutes. They, you know, in in, in cricketing terms, they gave him a half volley, and Austin smashed it out of the park.
4: He did indeed. Uh, Cow corner, in fact. Um, No no, no wonder he got so bitter, as they say. Um, This was another terrific one. Not quite on the level of... now, nah, maybe that's for somebody else. But not far off. Um, you can sh- I mean, one day I'd like to see Austin sit down for two or three hours and talk about his WCW experiences. I bet there's a fair few volumes in that. But he absolutely nailed it. He took it from... The brilliant thing about it is he took it from a fairly standard, but still good, uh, I'm a superstar uh, professional wrestling promo, where he said, we're just, uh, scrubs who, you know, work from nine till five. We throw together a rubbishy, uh, ham and cheese sandwich and have somebody shout at us through our working day. And I'll never be somebody like that. And he segued that brilliantly into suggesting that Eric Bischoff should be announcer of the year. <laughs> yeah. I hope he was joking. I'm pretty sure he was. And then got down on his knees and it all just fell out of him there. Um, I, don't necessarily take a massive mass amount of, of delight in seeing somebody bare their soul and they've had such a bad, bad time. But Austin has put it out there for us and he has run with it. And ECW have given him given him that platform and he has taken it with both hands. This was yet another winner in a series of big winners.
3: Chris? This whole Austin run reminds me a lot of when I listened to... Alice in Chains and I listen to Nirvana and things like that and it's someone basically having zero filter between the way they feel and them saying it. This is someone truly sort of putting out everything negative that they have to get out of their system and giving zero shits about the fact of who it'll upset or what people think about it. They need to get it out. And as Rory said, going from the dusty, it just isn't for you promo to, you know, showing him doing the whole Hogan impression on that first time we saw him. The, you, you've had even moments of his comedy with that promo where the big boys play with themselves and, you know, Monday Night Snore.
2: I think it was big boys play with each other. Yeah. Big um, boys playing with themselves is a very, very different connotation. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, obviously, you know, in those promos we have seen every aspect of, of him, but we've also... Get this one where you where the you see him looking in the camera and it comes out of his eyes that it's real. It's it's this is stuff that really is you know eating him inside. Yes, the two matches that we've had out of him aren't five star classics, but it's because he's not fully fit you know, give him another month or two if he was kicking about, we'd be getting classic matches out of him. I'd probably guarantee that, you know, once he is fully fit and, you know, knocked off the ring rust, he would be awesome again. Um, Knowing that he's now off to Vince, I don't know what they're going to do with him.
2: Ringmaster does sound like some sort of magician.
3: Yeah, it's very much what's what's crazy character is Vince putting him as because we've seen some uh, horrid things this past year or two. The the only
2: positive thing I can say right now is that the only thing I've read is that he debuted at a WWF taping as the ringmaster. There was no details around it, so I'm guessing if it was... Anything that abhorrent, we would have heard about it.
3: Yeah, so, you know, it's not Al Snow in some strange mask and calling himself, uh, what is it, that he's gone by Avatar, now? was that right? Avatar, yeah. Or, you know, putting him as a binman or some craziness like that. So, you know, the future is there. He, he could, you know, if given the right level of trust by Vince to go forward, he could be a revelation in WWF.
2: And the one thing you can also say is that there's no, there isn't much ceiling in WWF. There aren't many established main event guys, and we're at a time where if someone can rise through, um, uh, and admittedly, you know, it's wrestling. There's only so much you can do, but if yeah. someone can rise through, there's not this big lock log of. Like big-name guys who are protecting their spots like they were in WCW. Uh, we were going to kind of do this discussion at the end, but we, we, we might as well do it now, really, about Austin. I, I, as for the promo, I really liked it, uh, and this is going to sound a weird explanation. I liked it because it wasn't a great wrestling promo, and that might sound weird given that you just heard it, but a great wrestling promo isn't six minutes long. A great wrestling promo is coherent. It's the kind of thing that... Cactus Jack would put together in terms of he will, he will layer a story over the course of two, three, four minutes and kind of crescendo. This was more Austin bearing his soul. You know, this was the, you know, five stages of, um, you know, mourning, recovery type thing that there was kind of anger and denial and that, that moment where he he gets on his knees and starts begging Bishop for his job back and then he just snaps out of it and says he doesn't want it. I liked it almost because it wasn't great because it was just so honest. As for as to whether this translates I mean he's not going to get five years preparation time for every promo he ever cuts. It's a bit kind of to a point like the, the Shane Douglas stuff in ECW last year in that Douglas was so good, you know, in part because he, 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 to a point, was cutting the same promo every month, and also to the point where the promos he were cutting were based on years and years of frustrations of, of, of misuse over his, his character and his persona. I think the same is true with Austin, and as we've seen with Douglas, as much as Douglas as Dean Douglas in WF has improved a lot, um, yeah, you, know, you go back and listen to those early promos and kind of hear the promos that Douglas is cutting now, there's been a lot of improvement. Even though I re- now recognise Dean Douglas as Shane Douglas from ECW, because it's a character, because it's a character in a storyline, there just isn't that believability there. So I, I wouldn't expect Austin to be going in and cutting promos like this because he doesn't have the same ammunition. Um, but but Rory, I mean... I. Paul Heyman we know to be a massive fan of Steve Austin. We've detailed stories last year of, of, of more than one occasion when Heyman tried to bring in Austin to ECW, even while Austin was, was under contract with WCW. And obviously Heyman worked with Austin back when they were both in WCW. Um, Heyman thinks, you know, the Heyman thinks the world of the guy, Heyman thinks he, he could be the next star. He, he said that on more than one occasion, the next kind of big wrestling star. Um, we know he's not fully fit. We know that. But to a point, I, Roy. I guess the question I'm asking is, if if I'm Paul Heyman, why don't I give Austin the chance to show how good he is? I know he cut some very good promos, but as a in-ring performer, I I kind of feel Heyman sold him short, putting him in, in there with Mikey Whitrack and Saman.
4: I agree totally. Yeah. Um, as far as we know at this point, it appears that. Heyman hired him after Austin had been given the boot from WCW. Primarily two cut promos. He clearly knew that Austin had a grievance and he had the medium for that grievance to be aired.
2: And Austin wasn't fully fit for the first four oh, years. absolutely. Austin, well. was,
4: Austin was, uh, was still injured. As we know, Austin was injured when he was fired over the phone. He might have told us that once or twice, actually. Um, so that was the main, at least in the very short term, the main reason why Heyman brought him in. Uh, Again, you touched on it there, Bob, I think. This was probably Heyman fulfilling something that he had wanted to do at least a year ago and bring Austin in in some capacity because he's obviously a fan of the guy, and quite rightly so, in my opinion. I think when we look back on it, this will end up being pretty good for Austin these three months. He's been able to cut some sensational promos, finally been given the chance to say everything he wants to say. Okay, he's only had two matches, but at least those matches have helped get him back from, obviously, nowhere near match fit to getting him close to 100%, although he's not quite there yet. But those matches will have helped on his recovery to get to that 100%. So I think this, when we look back on this, this will end up being extremely good for Austin. However, I'm not absolutely certain it's at least... Not in the short term, where we are now going into '96, it's going to be brilliant for ECW and Paul Heyman because Austin's coming. He's used the platform he's been given, used it brilliantly, and now he's off to he's off to New York. Now, where did ECW pick up from this here? If they just it's as if they've just acted as a conduit for Austin, and uh, I think in the cold light of day, Heyman will look back on this and think, "If only we'd got him a year ago."
2: Yeah. Chris, would you have put the title on Austin? I think I might have. I would have
3: if, once again, like with most things with ECW, if he'd be on a definite I will be here for X amount of time.
2: I don't even I think would that have... would have mattered to me. I think I'd have would... just given him the title and just said, look, come back next time, you go, we'll take it off you. you know, even as a, as a one-shot deal... I don't know, I, I guess you might say, well, Bob, what difference does it make? I, to a point, I think if Haven's, you know, if Haven's, you know, vision ends up being true, I think, you know, Austin ends up making a name for himself up in, in the WWF. I'd be inclined to try and capitalise on that and just say, you know, here's a guy who was alright, he was there for a cup of tea, but he held our championship. Um, and I think there might have, there might have been another great promo had Austin won the title and, and, and you could have you could have taped two or three promos just to show week to week to week of him as champion, and then he loses the title, you could almost do it in similar, circus that's how you he did here, and then you can still cut the same promo. I kind of feel like, you know, I talk mm. about them putting you with different opponents. If he was going to be involved in a title picture, it would have had to have been these two. I just wonder whether, you know, you've got him there, the title doesn't mean a lot around Mikey Wittrex's race. Why not? Yeah,
3: putting it as you have there, I can see... I can see definitely a reason for doing it. And as you said, even if we're knowing that he's going to be off fairly soon, doing it the way you just said, you know, you have him beat Mikey in that first match and then lose it as he has here. Cause I could definitely see as long as he, you know, this ringmaster thing, as you said, isn't turning into something strange and wonderful in that way that WF do stuff. And if he's just there as a wrestler, you can quite easily put him in a feud with a Bret Hart. You could put him in with a Shawn Michaels. You could put him in with Razor. You know, any of your sort of mid to top level faces, he could quite easily come in. He's good enough of a worker that he can have a decent match with pretty much anyone. That, you know, Paul could go, look, we have made this guy better for... A lack of a better way of putting it he's our former champion now look at him he's having a feud with the wwf champion he's having a feud with the wf intercontinental champion you know potential match of the year candidates with these guys and go you come through us we can get you places
2: and also to a point you could almost start then you know, start imitating life by Implying that ECW is almost a stepping stone to the big time. You know, look at Steve Austin; he was our champion, and now he's you know doing whatever in the WWF.
3: Same if if you can sort of call back to Malenko and Benoit as well. Yeah, you know, they they were there or thereabouts around the TV title. Now look at them. You know, there there is there is a way that knowing Paul Heyman the way that we have in this past sort of year. He will take anything and put a massive positive spin on everything that he can. He would have definitely used this as a way of promoting the brand to get young talent in. Probably pay them a lot less than, you know, the going rate is on that sort of back of you do well here, you can get to the big boys.
2: Next up is Taz with Bill Alfonso against El Puerto Ricanio. Alfonso gives Ricanio some serious stick before slapping him. Taz steps in when Bill gets in over his head. The focus of the match is on Alfonso while the crowd start chanting, suck his dick. Uh, Alfonso. Uh, Taz hits the T-bone suplex that looks vicious before locking in a chicken wing-like choke for the victory. Uh, Rory, we, we, me and Chris, uh, did discuss on last month's show. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the Taz-Alfonso partnership?
4: Yeah, jury's out. If they want, if they want Taz to be booed, then pairing him with somebody as hateful as Alfonso is a very wise move. I mean, no smart fans like Alfonso because the guy is just he just is, He's a he just prick. is a heel. He is an utter prick. Absolutely right. His voice, his mannerisms, his stare. Oh, nobody, even in the most ironic terms, would, would ever like him. So if they want Taz to get booed, then pairing him with uh, Alfonso is a sensible move. Oh, so I haven't seen absolutely everything leading up to this month, but I'm still not absolutely certain they've explained their pairing. I know Taz did do an in-ring thing last month. I still think there's a bit to be fleshed out there, but it probably, if they can, if they can make it make sense, then it will make sense, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, and they've probably got a lot of places they can go with Taz as a heel anyway, which helps them out, but they need to explain things just a little more for me personally, but At least at the moment, I think it's going to work, but they need to see if they can hold it for a fair few months rather than it just being a, let's get Taz some residual heat.
3: Chris? I reckon if they do as they did in this match where Taz basically just murders that kid and you've got Fonzie outside being a fucking spiteful little cock that can do nothing but garner hatred, as he has no redeeming features. You know, you can use him as the mouthpiece. Taz basically can only sort of come in and just sort of be the muscle and go, yeah, you got a problem with what he's saying? And just batter people for that. Allah 911 for Heyman, but in the opposite way. And... You know, you give him a couple of months of squashes killing people, then start feeding him some more established talent. Taz will live off the heat of Alfonso. You can do him doing some, a few questionable things in his matches. You know, it would be an easy way to make Taz the major heel of the company because he is the in-ring representation of Alfonso.
2: I think this is excellent. Um I uh, you know, I kinda said this last month. It's it's great to have an act in ECW that everyone can dislike. Like I I, I struggle to appreciate Bill Alfonso at times because even I don't like him. Like that's that's <laughs> kind of the levels of heat we're talking about here in that I can sit here and with one half of my brain can admire what he's doing and the other half can go, Oh what an absolute dick Um, you know, and and it's Taz is kind of playing off of that, but I th- I think this is I think this is money. Like you know, the, the the one thing ECW is strong with consistently is having a guy that fans boo because the more over a heel act gets, the more the ECW fans start to like him because they just respect the fact that they can play their characters so well. So it's this real kind of balance. You're always kind of constantly fighting inertia, and that the more you get someone over as a heel, the more they're not getting cheered. I don't get the feeling this is gonna happen here. I think the ECW fans really, really, really dislike Bill Alfonso. And Roy, you're right. It's it was a little bit awkward with you know oh no, Taz Taz explained it about as well as I think we're gonna get. He basically said, Look, I got injured, nobody kept paying me any respect but but Bill had my back. I, I think that's the best we're gonna get. Fair enough. Um but it's it's, what, 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 the problem we had earlier this year was that Bill Alfonso was getting all this heat and I remember saying, great, but where, where does this pay off? This is where it pays off. Like, if you've got Bill, not just as Taz's manager, but almost his antagoniser. Like, if, if Taz gets in the main event ECW picture, which I imagine you will see rather than later, it almost shouldn't be Sandman versus feuding with Taz. It should be Sandman feuding, feuding with Bill. And Taz, in a weird kind of way, is like the third wheel, like in that Bill does. Bill is as much of the program as Taz is, and in the end, Taz does the the the, the dirty work essentially. I oh, it's great. Um, and there's some proper vitriol from that crowd. Like, you, you watch reaction from the crowd when they're, they're chatting, suck his dick at Bill, and you look into the crowd and there's people, you know, flicking the middle fingers up at Taz. There's genuine dislike, and it's, it, of all the reactions that, of all this wide variety of reactions we get from the ECW arena, this is right up there. Uh, the oh,
3: thing that they've hated this much was when Cactus put in that fucking rest hold.
2: They that's didn't, the they only... didn't, they didn't hate that in this way. That's
3: that, that was a different, close to that.
2: Yeah. That was a different, th- this is, this is pure anger from a lot of these fans. Like, I, I think, I think the Cactus Jack stuff probably put, crossed the board into what I was thinking earlier and kind of that admiration heat in a weird kind of way. In that they're admiring how good he is at pissing them off. I don't think that's this. I, I think this is something else. But I, you know. Big thumbs up from me. Uh, we get a promo from the Head Heavenly Bodies ahead of their match with Sabu. Raven walks through. He says the bodies are two more disciples of Raven and that when they finish off the enemy, they get rid of two of his disciples. but Ray Dudley comes out with a public enemy, dancing with them. Uh, the enemy goes to join the crowd, but the Heavenly Bodies attack Bubba. Joey Styles points out that both the Dudley's and the Bodies are disciples of Raven, so he, you know that. Thanks, Joey, because it did be explaining. Um, and you know where where would Bubba Ray's allegiances lie with all this in mind? Um, the enemy returns to the ring and kind of like forced the Bodies to the outside. We get an extremely loud "Please don't go" chant uh, aimed at the enemy. Uh, Bubba Ray gets on the mic and says, "My name is But But But." Bubba fucking Ray, get your asses in here. They get in the ring, Bubba sees them off before dancing some more. After the break, the match finally begins and it quickly descends into a four-man brawl at ringside. Rock attacks Pritchard with a keyboard, lays him on a table before going for a senton. on. Pritchard moves and Rock goes flying through the table. Into the Bleachers, Grunge nails, uh, nails Jimmy Del Rey with a full can of beer and a blueberry pie. We get a Tiger Bomb in the ring for a two by Pritchard. Rock returns it with a swinging net breaker. Rock and Rey end up in by the arena wall. Grunge is busted open in the ring. In the Eagles' nest, uh, nest Del Rey drops an elbow through Rock through a table. He then attempts a powerbomb, but Rock reverses it into a back body drop. Del Rey gets on the turnbuckle, but Rock trips him. Rock clones eyes Pritchard flips him over into the pin and gets the three chris what, what do you think of this the the segment before the match and the match itself
3: Bubba Ray is my new favorite thing in wrestling he in, in the last sort of couple of months we've obviously seen him arrive you know, the but 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 as has just been great and then now he is less a central member of just being one of the dudleys and sort of you know being part of the whole group and he is now an individual character that has clearly gotten over with the fans the fans fucking love him and it's easy to see why he is the right amount of comedy about him that also works that he's backing it up when he's in the ring He's always sort of decent in the ring. And I just can't get enough of Bubba. I I think he may be a, a sneak late entry into the awards for me as, as newbie of the year.
2: Interesting. Rory?
3: Absolutely.
4: Couldn't agree more. Bubba Ray Dudley manages to achieve the very rare feat of being able to make an ECW crowd. That's an ECW crowd laugh there aren't many people out there who can do that i mean if you ecw crowds probably don't think it's cool to laugh but they 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 drop that here thank goodness the man is gold he has got this character down pat perfectly he's clearly having the time of his life playing this character he's loving every last moment of it he's squeezing every single drop he can loving every moment as indeed i am and the crowd absolutely adore this guy because it is something different. He's he's not just, you know, he's not Pitbull 2 shouting, I'm going to get you, Eliminators. Uh, it's, it's something completely different to the standard ECW trope. And I just, my only concern, on, you touched on this in last month's pod, this particular character, I still think it's got a way to go yet, thank goodness, but they probably can't keep doing this forever. And the fact that, in fairness to them, they've had things like him saying, you know, fucking get in the ring now and stuff like that, that indicates there could be a couple more layers here to add as well, and I hope so. But the guy is just brilliant and he's not half bad in the ring either. He's I would say he's certainly the most adept of the Dudley of the Dudley clan in ring anyway. I mean, dances with and Big Dick are just punch kick merchants to me. He's got a fairly decent moveset to him. Is just fantastic. I could I, just, just gush uncontrollably. It's absolutely fantastic.
2: I, I'm quite looking forward to uh, the speech correction uh, vignettes that we're going to get, hopefully in the first few <laughs> you know months of cottage. next year. I think that could be uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, Roy, your thoughts on the match between the bodies and the enemy?
4: Yeah, the match itself uh, was was okay. I'm, I'm a fan of the bodies. I've, I like when they've been called upon in uh, in WWF. Uh, Jimmy Del Rey in particular is is a, is a real talent. Although a Dr. Tom can go as well. But I think Jimmy Del Rey has got a pretty full set, actually. I'm I'm very impressed with him. He can talk a bit, too. Um, and Public Enemy are Public Enemy. They've been Public Enemy ever since they joined ECW. Uh, you know exactly what you're going to get. And we've got it all here, plus an extra blueberry pie. Uh, I, I, I thought the finish was, again, I've said this already today, but I thought the finish was somewhat anticlimactic, I mean, you have people going through tables in the bleachers and then you have a match ending with a clothesline and a jackknife roll-up. Yeah, bit of a come down. But uh, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. I'd like to see... I mean, I don't know how long the bodies are going to be sticking around in ECW. I'd like them to have a few straight-up matches because they proved uh, in WWF that they can certainly do that. I thought their match... I remember their match against the Steiners at SummerSlam 93 was particularly excellent. So anything in that vein would, would be welcome. But uh, yeah, th- this was fine, absolutely fine. Um, and the public enemy did need to go over in this one as they're on their way. I think it would have been a bit, bit reverse cliched for them to have done the job on nearly on their way out. I know they've got a couple of events coming up next month, but they're going. But it still would have been easy to chop them up, but they didn't. Yeah, uh, perfectly fine. Perfectly fine.
2: Yeah, full credit to the the, the the fans who bought the full can of beer and sacrificed it <laughs> in the match rather than drinking it. And the fan who bought in a blueberry pie and decided opting not to eat it, uh um, in, in the hope that the action would spill his way. Uh Chris, your thoughts on the match? Uh
3: pretty much agree with what Rory's just said. Um Having seen obviously the heavenly bodies in WF and sort of knowing that they are in-ring wrestlers and sort of that old sort of fashion sort of tag team, to see them actually do go hardcore was really, really impressive. Um, I didn't think that that was going to happen. Um, I know that I was a pr- pretty down on the public enemy sort of early on and not didn't really get it. But in this past sort of four or five months I've actually quite got to a point where I'm really enjoying the enemy and I actually don't want them to go because obviously you know great news that their opening match is the one that we sort of semi pre-booked last month when we went yeah they go to WCW they can have a brawl against the Nasty Boys and it'll be awesome but obviously we then decided that it would be better in ECW because they could be much more violent So, you know, seeing them going to be against the nasties, yay. But at the same point, you're going to lose half of their magic, which is the fact that they are so over with that crowd. Is that going to work on the bigger scale in the WCW? Are they even going to get enough time to even attempt to build anything like that sort of a reputation and that sort of a relationship with the crowd, you know, and seeing the fact that they know they're going, they're still putting in 100% in these last few matches that they've got. Just massive, massive amounts of credit to to them both. And also, I hope they have any bodies kick about for a bit, because I think... They are comp- so different to all the other teams in ECW that the clash of styles between them and an Eliminators or them and a Pitbulls or, you know, them and Two Cold and Sandman would bring out a really good mix of a match as well.
2: Yeah, um, not much more to add, so I'll keep my comments fairly brief. Um, I think that I, I agree. I would have liked to have seen the bodies in a more traditional match. Uh, I hope we get that. Um, but this is this was a match about the Public Enemy. They had a Public Enemy match that was one of the better Public Enemy style matches, uh, probably more for the crowd than it was for the people watching at home. And I think I think uh, from that point of view, it probably delivered. We end the show with ECW wishing everyone an extreme holiday. Bubba Ray Dudley then wished everyone a m- 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 Merry Christmas. And the final episode of the year, we feature the Rey Mysterio and Psychosis match from the November to Remember show that we reviewed last month. Also an angle between 9 levelling the Eliminators after a match against the Pitbulls. They're going to do the match we we spoke about last month, 9 one and Rey Mysterio. Uh, against the Eliminators uh, Sandman says his broken hand won't stop him before stubbing out a cigarette onto the palm of his hand we get an ident from Pat Kelly second baseman of the New York Yankees introducing ECW Cactus Jack does a hardcore home movie he blocked off his beard and moustache and he looks almost unrecognisable and that's how we'll end the show and end this year for ECW uh, me and Chris are about to take the ECW segment at the uh, end of your review show but a uh, very big thank you to Roy McNamara for joining us this month. Roy?
4: Absolute pleasure. Cheers, guys.
2: Uh, Roy, you are on Twitter?
4: I am indeed. You can find me on RawsDM. That's R O R S D
3: M.
2: Excellent. And Chris Lacey?
3: I am on the personal Twitter at Lacey555666. And obviously, you can follow the, my personal podcast of Super Brawls. Where we review WCW and NWA pay-per-views and Clash of the Champions. We have just posted Clash of the Champions 13, where we basically spend half the episode talking about stuff that we, that is not related to the show because the show's rather terrible. But it does have an awesome magic show in it, halfway through with the Black Scorpion. And I do my best Inspector Gadget bad guy impressions because that's what the the voiceover of Oli anderson for the black scorpion sounds like and hopefully by the end of the year as well we will have out the uh, the starcade 90 episode so we will finish the year at the end of 1990
2: excellent we 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 finished the show with quite an interesting story i was at work today um and you know they invite me out for drinks and not that i need an excuse to get out of any kind of you know anything that involves being sociable I don't generally like to go, but when I've got when I've got a genuine reason, it's beneficial. So I, I did the honest route, I said, I can't go, I'm doing the podcast. So they asked me, Oh, what's the podcast? And I, you know, you try to explain to people who clearly didn't know a lot about wrestling in about 30 seconds what I did. Um and in the 30 seconds, Matt who sits opposite me, who asks for a quick shout out if he ever gets this far well done. Um Google by name and the word podcast and pulled up the show. I didn't mention the name of the show or even particularly what it was about. Um, and he hit play on the first show that he saw, because he was on the Wrestling20Years.com website, which is our PodBeat site. He clicked play on the first episode that he saw, which was the ECW show from November last month. Now, as I put in the show notes for the ECW show last month, there is strong language from the very start. So, unfortunately, as I'm chatting with a couple of other people about... um about what the show's about, et etc. Et I just hear the line, and tonight your name's Eric Bischoff. And I didn't really have time to comprehend this. I just heard the scratch noise, and then I heard the words, fuck now fuck you. And it's like, ah, that's a, I I hadn't, hadn't, hadn't planned this in my office on a Friday afternoon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a, uh, a, a fun way to introduce someone that doesn't know a lot about wrestling to the show with uh, a lot of swearing. Um, so, is,
3: is any show that I'm part of?
2: Well, it's, it, you know I mean, it, it, I, I, you yeah, know, we're talking about wrestling, particularly on the ecw stuff. I don't mind people swearing, you know. If it's excessive, I'd probably, probably drop on it, but I don't really mind. It's part of it, I do it too. Um, but given that it was, they were part of the primers and part of the opening segment, I just thought, you know, our market is explicit on iTunes in case someone clicks on it by accident or whatever. Um, you know, I can, I can cover my back and say, look, you've been warned. There's a lot of swearing right from the outset. And I put it in the podcast notes. Uh, but I wasn't expecting that. Um, and my own fault for putting the line, fuck Taz, no, fuck you, uh, in the, uh, in the opening 30 seconds of the show. Anyway, quick, quick funny story to finish. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. You can find me on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. Facebook.com Wrestling20YRS. Wrestling20YRS.com, uh, where everything else, iTunes, RSS, email subscription, uh, all of the other stuff. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of shows through this month. We're about to tape a bit of uh, Volume 5. Volume 1 is WCW looking at Starcade. Volume 2 is the WWF looking at uh, In Your House 5. This was Volume 3. Volume 4 is a trip to USC uh, in December '95, looking at USC Ultimate Ultimate. Uh, volume 5 is the end-of-year review show. We kind of split. You know, the end-of-year review show actually was so long, we've chopped it up. Um, so the end-of-year review show will be Volume 5. Uh, which we're going to record in chunks. And then Volume 6, we're going to do the end-of-year awards. So that's what you've got to look forward to. Anyway, I have been Bob Bamber. This has been Volume 3 of the December 1995 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.